Zion Williamson. Is he worth the hype? Is he going to live up to the hype? I think Zion's special, man. I mean, yeah. Zion's like 285. Yeah. You know, he's built like a like a lineman. And he's shown that he, he really could put the ball in the hoop from outside. 18 and, yeah. years yeah. old. I was 135. Yeah. I, I was 185. <laughs> Welcome to WRTS. We run this station, the athlete run podcast channel presented by Uninterrupted. I'm Matt Perret, former professional baseball player, now social media producer at Uninterrupted, sometimes podcast producer. Another podcast producer joining me today is John Fontanelli. John, how are you? What's up, Matt? So tell everyone what they're going to be hearing today. Yes, this is the sixth of our six-part series of Who's Interviewing Who, the podcast. This is a conversation that took place earlier this year around March Madness tournament time. It features Ray Allen, Jason Terry, and Carlos Boozer, three NCAA legends turned NBA legends, sitting down with Taylor Rooks to discuss the NCAA tournament. It's a fascinating conversation, especially since all three of these guys are old enough now where they can talk candidly about their years of college basketball, the things that their coaches said and did, the things that they might not have admitted during their NBA career, but that they're willing to kind of tee up for us now. I thought it was a great conversation. It made me excited for March Madness and it's July. Mm. And it's nice to have Booze back on uh, WRTS yes. again. Yep, uninterrupted his very own Carlos Boozer. We love Boozer out here. Oh, yeah. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation of the final, oh, the final installment of Who's Interviewing Who, the podcast. Take a listen. Okay, it's tournament time. Yeah. It seems like time flies by. When was the last time you guys were playing in the tournament? Uh, <laughs> long time ago. Back, 99. Back when we all had hair. Yeah, and it, was, and it wasn't gray. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't gray. <laughs> well, we are here to talk about the tournament, which is very fitting given the basketball legends I'm sitting here with today. So speaking of performance, I want to hear about your all-time favorite tournament performances. So uh, our year, when we won in 2001, we actually beat Arizona too, and the loot was great. They had a loaded, our, our roster was loaded. Yeah, Richard Jefferson, Lauren Woods, they, they had a squad. And that year, everybody talks about the Duke-Carolina rivalry, but that year, Maryland was our, our biggest competition. They had Juan Dixon and Lonnie Baxter. They were coached by Gary Williams. Terrence Morris was there. They were, they were a really good team. Steve Blake and all those guys. And we played them in the, in the semifinal, in the semifinal down there in Minneapolis, and we're down by 22. And so we come all the way back to cut it to 11 at the half. Uh, point guard Jason Williams went nuts and had a huge second half. Dunleavy ended up having like four threes and a, a game that we, we probably should have lost that game. We had a miraculous comeback like we just talked about. And next thing you know, we're in the championship game against Arizona. So that semifinal game for us was really like our championship because once we realized that we can overcome a deficit like that, then we have a chance to win the whole thing. And I think comebacks are one of the more beautiful things about the tournament because coming back is so much more mental than it is physical. It's like, take me into those moments where you're down, but you're just trying to fight back and get that win. Well, interestingly enough, it's, I think it's a, an indictment on the team that's up uh, because yeah. human nature kicks in and immediately you, you, you get comfortable. You know, the guy that hasn't scored a lot, now he thinks he can shoot the ball a little bit more because you're up 20. Right. <laughs> yeah. And they stopped doing what they had done to get to that point. Right. And the team that's kind of behind the eight ball is sitting there saying to themselves, you know, we just keep plucking away. Like, let's get to only down 10. Right. And they're still thinking, and the coach is coaching, and the other coach is sitting on the sideline thinking, you know, 
you know, where he's going to eat tonight. Yeah. And so typically it's the way basketball works. It's a game of runs. And the team that is down is sitting there just kind of plugging away at it. And every time out, you're sitting there looking at the clock. The other team is just kind of, you know, just looking up in the yeah. stands now. And yeah. So that's why comebacks always happen, you right. know, especially in turn, because yeah. that team that has that, that slippage is one that's going to be overcome. It's funny, Ray talked about the teams in our head. So in my experience, the year we won it, in our first two games, we were down double digits in the last two minutes. Wow. And so we felt utter desperation. It's right. like we're not letting our season in, especially not to South Alabama or College <laughs> of Charleston. Right. Not when you're Arizona. Right. You don't want to lose to this type of schools. Right. And so that other utter desperation of knowing your season's over and you won't have a chance to go and fight for that championship uh, was what we felt. But that's, that's what's great about the tournament yeah. in itself because it pits a 16, 14, 15 seed against a number one or number two or number three seed. And ultimately what you see is that it's evenly matched because now with so many players that leave, yeah. mm -hmm. you you see a, 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 a major college program with freshmen and sophomores mm -hmm. leading the helm at the helm, and then in a mid-major you see four seniors, yeah, upper class five seniors. So it just kind of evens out. Yeah, well, the, that five senior-laden team ultimately is a more experienced, more skilled basketball team. So it's not really an upset when you see it happen. Right. It's a team that's, mm -hmm. you know, meant point. to be there. Tell me this, too. What about coaching? Because yeah. you had Coach K, yeah. you had Jim Calhoun, I had Lou. Mm -hmm. Like, the in-game adjustments in a tournament, like, say, a, a lower seat jumps, jumps out ahead of you. You know, what, what type of adjustments were made uh, from, your, from the coach's perspective? What is Coach K designing in that huddle for yeah. you guys? Yeah, the great thing about Coach is what we talked about, what we're talking about right now is experience, right? So these guys have seen so many different players, so many different teams, so many different guys come through in so many different situations. So when they see it now, like say 2019, this tournament, something will happen and they'll be able to adjust on the fly because he has so much experience to lean back on. Then he has a great coaching staff. And the other thing about Coach K is he's always innovative. He's always calling out to to other coaches in the NBA or different coaches, even in football, like Belichick's a good friend of his, get different ideas on team concepts, implements it with the new group. And the great thing about it is he's able to get all these young kids to be on the same page after the same goal in a short period of time to, to win the title. And that, that's, what, that's what I'm impressed with. Speaking of young kids, yeah. Zion Williamson, we talk Ooh. about commanding presence. Yeah. That is a commanding presence. Is he worth the hype? Is he going to live up to the hype that we have with Zion right yeah, now? Yeah, we're going to find out. I think Zion's special, man. I mean, yeah. we've seen some guys, me and JT were talking off air, uh, Mari Stoudemire, Blake Griffin, Sean Kemp, back you know, Rain, uh, Rain Era days, or back in the days. Those guys are very similar to what Zion's able to do. The difference is Zion's like 285. Yeah. You know, he's built like a, like a lineman in football, and he's still getting that big old body up there doing all that crazy stuff. So I think, I think his ability is, is through the roof. I think uh, his talent level is very good. I think he's still learning how to play basketball, like to be smooth at it. But his 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 athleticism, we haven't seen like that at that weight mm -hmm. before. But do, have you guys ever seen someone else with that kind of commanding presence on the court at 18 years old? Well, he, he certainly has uh, a big body. And you think about if we came in, typically most of us at that age, we come into the league and we're very slim. Yeah. 18 and, yeah. years yeah. old, I was 135. Yeah. I, I was Something 185. Yeah. And everybody's like, can your body hold up? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, so 
you know, you, when you look at the guys that come to the league, they put on that weight, but he already has that, that man weight. So that's not in, in question. I, I know they talked about whether he could shoot. Right. And he's shown over the course of uh, the last couple of games that he, he really could put the ball in the hoop from outside. So it really, it, it comes down to, you know, getting drafted, you know, the team that drafts right. him, the coach that has his hands on him. Uh, the one thing that I that I noticed and I realized with, with my career, and I, I, I pay attention to everybody else's career too, you think about the guys that coached them in their evolution. Right. There are some players that have been great players individually but haven't gotten to the NBA that haven't been coached the right way and they didn't evolve like they should have. Right. And I've had some good coaches, I've had some okay coaches, but most of my coaches all taught me something. Right. You know, and that's the thing. You know, even some guys that, are, that weren't such great dudes taught me some very valuable lessons that right. I carry with me to the day. And I still give them credit right. because they serve their purpose. That's the one thing that I hope for him is that he he's lines up with somebody that's going to coach him right. and teach him from the moment that he steps on the floor in the NBA, how to play the game the right way and how to continue to get better and not just rely on his talent. Well, with the knowledge that you've gained from these coaches, I'm curious, tell me a good lesson you've learned and a bad lesson you've learned. Uh, simple, and there's so many, and I can tell you plenty, but one of the things I learned, and I see it happen a lot uh, throughout, not only college basketball, but the NBA, but in the first quarter, you don't take a tough shot. You, you shouldn't. You know, you, you got to figure out what the defense is, is presenting you. Right. But in the fourth quarter, you have to take a tough shot because it's time to win the game. Mm -hmm. And see, as a 20-year-old as a player, I'd start the game shooting fadeaways and, you know, right. trying to, you know, guys contesting my shot and I'm taking a shot that it's, the defense is dictating it is not there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so over the course of the game, you start to figure out where the holes in the defense are, how they're guarding pick and rolls. You know, if somebody wears down, even if they don't, now it's two, three seconds on the clock. You have to take uh, that tough shot to win a game. That's when the talent has to rise above the skill of the defense. So we know in the tournament, there's, there's those defining moments of the tournament, so to speak. Whether it's a team that barely got in the tournament or whether it's a team like a Duke or Arizona that's a high seed and expectations are what they are. And there's a moment like in the end of the game where there's an opportunity to design a play to get a buzzer beater or a winning shot. It's my favorite right? moments of the tournament. I think back at the tournament <laughs> when I was coming up and, and Bryce Drew shot with a team, Valparaiso. Right, yeah. It's like, why are they even in the tournament? First of all, I never even heard about Valparaiso <laughs> until we seen him right. hit that shot. Right. right. So those are the type of defining moments that the tournament is just, to me, that's what draws you to it. And were there any experiences that you guys had where a coach drew the play up for you or drew one up against you? in those type of moments? Well, I'll tell you one, when I was a kid, one of the plays that happened uh, that really got me into, into uh, the tournament mm -hmm. was Tyus Edney. Oh. Remember Tyus, I think it was 95, yep. UCLA, they yep. were loaded with the O'Bannon yep. brothers. 94. You remember that year? And I remember it, but let me interject. Oh yeah, go ahead, go ahead. You remember, oh, it, you remember it vividly. Oh, did you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's dope. Tell me. Because dope. that play was against Missouri. Right. Missouri had them beat. They had the rights. Yeah. So they beat Missouri, and guess who they play next? 
they play us. Oh, wow. wow. Now, they were the number one seed, so right. we, we, we start the tournament. We're in, um, in Utah, because okay. we're number one seed. We get a uh, number two seed. We get sent out west. Okay. So now we go from Utah playing. We play like Cincinnati and uh, like uh, Tennessee, okay. some uh, school in Tennessee. And then we go to Oakland right. to play. We play Maryland. And then we play UCLA, right? Because they beat uh, Missouri. Awesome. And when when he when they were down, that was like, that was our pathway. Right. We knew. So y'all knew you could beat Missouri. Yeah, yeah, but we knew UCLA was going to be tough. Right, right. You know, Missouri would UCLA was supposed to beat Missouri. Right. But the fact that they had them down, and it was like, wow, the doors of, and this is how the tournament works. Right. You know, the teams that that. You know, you walk in with this bravado and yeah. this, this arrogance that you're, oh, this team is the, the ninth seed. They don't stand a chance. Right. But remember, they just got the speech of their lifetime in the locker room. <laughs> yeah. Right. yeah. That's so true. Right. Yeah. And then the, the number two, number one seed is over here like, guys, you know, we're going to have dinner tonight. And then we're going to get ready for the next team the next day. Like, right. that's the mentality. Yeah. And true. so yeah. that was, it affected me because when I seen that, I was like, we're in for... We're in for a tough one, and we they beat us, and ultimately ended up going to win the championship. That, so the play was how was that how play, play was like four seconds. Remember, in, in, in college basketball, you can't advance the ball. Right. So he had to go the length of the court in four seconds, and he did it. He got he bobbed and weaved through, got in, threw up a floater, and, and it went in, and the whole place went nuts. And I'm like, I want to be a part of that. Yeah. I want I want to be a part yeah, of that. Yeah, for sure. And we didn't. <laughs> we like yeah, that's not uh, what we wanted to see happen. But so when you know a coach is designing that buzzer beater play, buzzer beaters often lead to upsets. Yes. Yeah. Do we like upsets? Sets, okay, or do we feel like it should be about the best team winning that night? No, I like oh, upsets. No, you like, you like I that. like upsets. You know why? Because that's what makes the tournament so amazing. Because you, like, like Ray said, you may have a number one seed that everybody's saying, "Oh, they're gonna, they're gonna be in the championship series. They're gonna have a chance to win the whole thing." And then all of a sudden, here comes a, a, a I don't know, a Baylor or a, or a, a George team, Mason, a George Mason out of nowhere, yeah. who got veterans and seniors and upperclassmen who play together, who are tough, who are experienced and they knock off these young talent. And for me, I mean, it may bust up your bracket a little bit, yeah. but it makes the tournament so much more exciting and because I, it's only one game. And I think that's where America falls in love with basketball, you know, reinvigorates that love for it because you, you don't just, you're not privy to the Power Five conference teams. Right. You get to see the stories because, you know, you see, I don't know what the school was, they had the, uh, the the nun that used to follow oh, them around, Loyola, Loyola yes, Chicago. Yeah. yeah, like those stories are, they're human stories, they're American stories. Yeah. And people say to themselves, like, wow, like, I love this woman, or I love this team, and look where they come from. And this is so, like, such an American story that I, I want to be part of. This the underdog story. In America, we love the underdog. those stories yeah. out, right? Because yeah. you wouldn't see Loyola Chicago. No. No. And we all fell in love with that story. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. were almost rooting for Still. them because of just the story. And you think, Go ahead. And you think that in, in America, we like to know that everybody has a shot. Yes. You know, either one at a redemption or just at success. Yes. You know, just to be able to get to that, that top level. And the college basketball shows that. That one time, we see Duke and we see Arizona and all these schools, and every year they're perennial, they're there. But now, who else do we get to see and we get to root on? And, and, right. and most of us big school guys, 
we love to see those schools because it, what it does, it makes all of us honest. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, right. And I think people start yeah. to see themselves in that school they're mm-hmm. rooting for. You're almost rooting for yourself right. if that team ends up winning. Yeah. Okay, but with that being said, obviously the tournament is probably the best postseason thing ever. But at the end, do we find the best team or do we find the best team that day? Oh, Because I think there's a difference. Yeah, it's a difference. Yeah. I yeah. think it's the best team that day. For yeah. sure. For sure, 100%. And even more so, the, the team that's playing well at that particular the hottest those, team. Yeah, the hottest yes. team for that mm-hmm. stretch, right? Yeah. You can have periods throughout the season where you get hot and go 10-0, and 0, mm-hmm. right? But in the tournament, it's six games. Can you get hot for six? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's kind of the theme we lived on. It's like we finished fifth in our conference, but we still got a tournament bid, and we're like, it's one game at a time. Yeah. yeah. Then we won again. Then we won again. Okay, let's get to the next weekend. And now it's two games left, and it's like, okay, let's beat this team. We get to the championship, anybody can win. Mm-hmm. Regardless of what school or who, where you came from, mm-hmm. it's like you said, can you get hot at that particular time? And I, I don't think it's about, for most of us that, that played, like you want to be able to continue to play at such a high level. But for most of us, it's the, you know, we have our own bragging rights where you, you have conference tournaments yeah. and, you know, that that is something that people don't see often. You know, me playing in the Big East Championship and winning that, one of the, our biggest mistakes was when we won a Big East championship, we, we used to always say, we're not going to celebrate. We're not going to cut the nets down. We're going to wait. And, and one of the, you know, when I look back on it, I was like, wow, we didn't enjoy that moment. Mm-hmm. You know, enjoy that moment. You know, once you enjoy it, cut it down and then just let it be and then move right. on to next. You have some closure. We never had that closure. And, we, and you know, I never won while I was there. So it does, it does, it is something about now everybody on this, this chase for this individual uh, trophy, regardless of where you come from, mm-hmm. regardless of what part of the country and you, everybody's going to meet somewhere in the middle if you have, if you're good in this next month. That is that something you think about having not won the tournament in college? Yeah, yeah. But I these mean, two got you on that? Yeah. Who, 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 who won the year that you were in college though, the years? Um, UCLA, UCLA won. won. Uh, uh, I think uh, my freshman year, Kentucky. I think it was Duke. Okay. It was either Duke or, or UNLV. 9-6, Kentucky, Kentucky won, Kentucky right? won, yeah. yeah okay. But when you say you think about it, what is it that goes through your mind? Just the feeling of, of making it to the last couple uh, few teams left. You know, it was, it was like a, you know, I remember the, my, my first year was at the, uh, the Kingdome. Mm. You know, the Kingdome's in yeah. Seattle. Yeah. Yeah, They blew it up, but the Kingdome, uh, Donnie Marshall's from, yep. uh, from Federal Way, Washington. So okay. he used to always have a picture of the Kingdome in the locker room. Oh, wow. So it was always like a reminder of this is where we're trying to end up. And so to never make it to that to that situation, we didn't talk about it much, but it was always in our in our heads. So it was just a, a dream, mm-hmm. and you know that moment never came. And it it does it it, it kind of strikes you as something I didn't do in my career. Well, booze, you hit on this a little earlier, and you said you played Maryland four times yeah. because they were in your conference, and you had the conference tournament. And so speak to the point of rivalries, yeah. like your rival, like even in that moment, still having to face your rival yet again for, for a fourth time. Like how, does, how did that feel? What was, yeah. what was the mindset? 
That's, that's one of the best things about the tournament is that usually you get a chance to get outside of your conference, like Ray said, and meet some other teams that you haven't seen before. But for whatever reason, 2001, we just kept bumping into Maryland. It was like everywhere we come to Maryland. And the thing about that is you're so familiar with that team. Right. It's like, you know, when you get to the next level and you're playing in uh, series, you go, you know, best of seven. That's how I felt with that team, with Maryland that year because they were so familiar with us. So when we got into the semifinal, we are literally, we're down by 22. They knew us so well. They knew our plays. They knew our counters. They knew what he likes to do, what I like to do. And we get in a, in a huddle and it's like, look, we just got to throw all of the playbook and our scheme to the side and just go out there and hoop. And let, like Ray said, let our talent take over. Just make the right reads, whatever that might be. On defense, be aggressive. Uh, on offense, just, just flow and just go with it. And it ended up going our, in our favor because we had a lot of talent that year. We, we had seven pros on that team that year. And because they were so familiar with us, they're like, oh, we got them in the bag. We're up by 22. Where are we going to have dinner at the night? Mm-hmm. Well, we're hungry in the huddle. Like, man, we got to find a way. You know, because it's also bragging rights, like we talked about. You yeah. want to be able to, you see these guys in the summertime, you're playing pickup ball, you want to be able to, oh, yo, we got you. Yeah, we got you we there. We got y'all, by the yeah. way. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the rivalries are Still huge. Still to this day. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, that's dope. And so my rivalry came from my freshman year experience. So freshman year, you know, I'm getting a little tick, playing a little bit. We get to the second round. We play Kansas, Jock Vaughn. Um, Paul Pierce, Scott Pollard, they were loaded. And so we like, we're really not supposed to be there. We like an underdog. Mm -hmm. We got a chance to win. One of our guys misses the shot at the end of the game. And so we're in the back of the locker. We sobbing. I mean, we sick. Because we're like, man, we almost got to the, you know, the next round. And so the next year, we're not thinking about Kansas. Kansas is rolling. They got the same team back. Now they're seniors. Uh, Paul was a junior. Mm -hmm. And so they were undefeated. They're in our same region. So we peek and we look at the bracket like, oh, if they win, we win, we're going to get them again. So all we're thinking about is how we were rematch. crying and we were dead. It's yeah. rematch. Yeah. So that's kind of how our rivalry formed. And it was a hell of a game. Yeah. Like, I'll never forget that moment. And that was almost on our run to the championship, our championship game. And it was in the, yeah. s- in the same round again. Wow. Yeah, yeah. so it was, it was dope, man. And I, yeah. I really would never forget that experience, but that was kind of my rivalry. That's, it's very rare that you get an opportunity like that. Yeah. yeah. Like my, I remember yeah. my freshman year, we lost to Florida up in Syracuse, mm-hmm. and they ended up losing to Mateen Cleaves in that group, Michigan State, that year, in two, year 2000. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to see Florida again, but we never got a chance. Never got to see it. I, yeah. I guess that, that, I was thinking about that, and it poses a, a, a new question, is because the, the bracketing, is so super important because you know that selection Sunday we're all sitting around oh, oh. nervous, wondering where you're going to end up. Where are we going? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Where oh, are we going? But the coaches are always mad. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't they it are. seem like every coach yeah. is always right. mad about something? You're, yeah, yeah and, and, and if you could, what would you change about bracketing? You know, if there's anything. Um, <clears throat> I love the playing game. And honestly, I kind of like the fact that when you've been the number one seed, like we were number one seed three years in a row. Humble brag, you know. Humble, little, humble like, brag, little, little, quick no hold big that, deal. Humble we brag, this Duke, so. right, but, exactly. Yeah. But they kind of keep you in the in the first the first round. They kind of keep you in your area. Like we're always in like being in Duke, you're in you're in North Carolina, so you're always in like a Charlotte or like an Atlanta or something. I kind of wish they would do the opposite and let us go to L.A. or go to San Diego or go to a different region. Why Don't you is think that? that I, but I just experienced something new. But right? I think I it's think, for the fans. It's for the yeah, fans. Yeah, I was gonna say because yeah. if you look at women's basketball, like the UConn women, mm-hmm. they always played their games leading up to the Final Four, 
at UConn in Connecticut because you're drawing the most fan base there. So I would imagine like my times at number one, number two seed, we got shipped out west. Like we never, that's why Calhoun was always pissed off about, you know, our seating. But notoriously, I noticed you guys are always in Greensboro or somewhere because you know that that it's going to be a huge draw. So I do think that that has, you know, something to do with it. But you're right. I think you know, going forward, they should ship number one seeds outside of their region. Yeah. Make, it, make it tougher just mm-hmm. because you're already number one seed. Yeah, you're number one seed. So you're already going to face the 14, the 15, 16, yeah. or whatever the seed is. So if you take them somewhere else where you have a little bit less of a fan base, and most fans, you know, yeah. you know yeah. fans travel. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's one of the best things about sports is fans will come wherever to watch you play. But it puts you in a more uncomfortable environment. Like, yeah, meet in the middle. To challenge yeah. you more. Yeah. Well, I'm surprised to hear that your change is something that would actually make it harder for you. Yeah, yeah I mean, I just I did, but also we it brings out the best of yeah, it. Yeah, if you thrive in this area. Yeah, we want a challenge. Yeah. So when you look at the landscape of college basketball, is there anything that you wish was different right now? That's a good question. Uh, How many years did you go to? to three. I left after my junior. You three. Three. And I went four. Mm-hmm. So I just think the unheard of now. Yeah, it's unheard of now. Yeah, that's an urban legend. <laughs> yeah, we're old. But the yeah. experience for me shaped who I am now. Yeah. Not only as a as a player, but as a man, right? Because you were there, you learned, you grew, you developed mm-hmm. uh, into who you are. And so for me, I think every young man should or woman should have that experience. Uh, but hey, if you're granted the athletic ability and you have the talent to go and live out your dream early, hey, that's your choice. But I just value being in college for the time I was here. How do you guys feel about one and dones? Do you feel like it sh- that should be the system? Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, I, I just think is is there's certain guys that can handle the one and done because you know you got to be we're 19 years old going into the next level and you're an adult. You got to pay taxes. You got to you got to find out what you're going to do with life after practice every day. As we all went through it, we were a little older, we were more mature when we went through it, but when you're 19 years old, you go through practice for three hours, at one o'clock, you're done with your day. You gotta go figure out what else you gotta do. And it makes you grow up a little faster. And I'm not saying that everybody isn't capable of handling that situation. I think a lot of us have great friends and family that, you know, circle the wagons and help us get through those moments. But I feel like for me personally, to, to echo off what JT said, going to college for three years, you know, I gotta learn about, you know, checks and balances and, you know, uh, studying. taxes, studying, being responsible being for my responsible. time. Like all those things helped me. So when I went to the next level, I was totally okay with, okay, I'm, I'm done with practice. I'm gonna go relax, watch some TV. I'm gonna go get in golf. I'm gonna go figure out something I wanna do, get into other hobbies. And then I come back every day as an 18 year old kid. I was into playing video games when I first got to Duke. Mm-hmm. You know, then when I left Duke, I was a different, I was a changed man and more mature. Now I'm not saying that every one and done can't handle that. I just think the majority of them need another another year, next year, even to mature your body to be more physically ready. But there are some guys, like you look at some guys that have come to, to the next level that were totally prepared out of high school. Yeah. You think about LeBron or like a Kevin Garnett or there are certain guys that can handle it. But the numbers, me. you think about the numbers, but it's they're slim. very small. They are very small. small. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I agree. I'm kind of going the opposite direction a little bit, but you know, from that vantage point, the young people, they don't understand what the huge network this is. You know, the people you know in Arizona, the people you can connect with right, and contact, right. and the same thing with Duke, right. your huge network. You, you lose that, you don't have that. You know, the connectivity 
uh, of a university. Um, but at the same time, like I, I, I had an opportunity to play <clears throat> in a golf tournament uh, a month ago. And I'm playing with a lot of these young women from around the world. And they, you know, they were just good at what, you know, at playing golf. And now they're professional and they, they you get the chance to travel. And one of them was asking me about basketball and the same thing. And I was like, it's interesting. Like nobody tells them that they should have to go to, go to college. And they travel around the world. And, you know, this yeah. girl, she was from Thailand. And now she's all around America. And it's like putting this good team together that allows her to be successful. Mm-hmm. What, I, what I think, the one and done is, is, is I don't know if it's doing much because it's, you're waiting a year and then you're going, you may not be ready still anyway. What I believe that should happen is, don't put an age restriction on it, but in, from the NBA's point of view or, or standpoint is have a league where those, those young players can play in, like a developmental league right. that they have to play in. Right. You know, and, and we'll see and we'll be able to determine whether or not they're good enough and they'll make a small little salary, um, just like a farm system. Like this league that like you baseball. can go to out of high school? You can go to right out of high school. And it, it, it prepares them, it gives them, right. you know, a competitive feeling and you have free agents that play in the league, people that are playing overseas play in that league and these young kids get an opportunity to feel what it feels like to play in the NBA. And they might realize they're not good enough and understanding the time difference, but at the same time, what it doesn't do, it doesn't collude the NBA with young talent that's not ready. Mm-hmm. It doesn't put pressure on GMs to have to put these guys on their team immediately. Right. So, because the problem that we have is you, you got young guys that get lost right. in, in the system. Right. And, you know, at least it would discourage them a little bit more from saying, you know what, I don't want to play in that league. I'm going to wait. Right. Mm-hmm. As opposed to one and done, they're like, I'm going to go one and done, I'm going to go. And they still might not be good enough. We got kids right. now that are leaving, you know, one that are second round picks. And done. Right. Yeah, there's, there's yeah. If you don't pan picks. out, he's done. He's done. For sure. He's done. I yeah. think, Three year lifespan in this league. That's I it. totally agree with everything that you guys are saying, but I feel like I maybe see the one and done a little differently, which is if a player knows that what they want to do is be in the NBA or they want to play professionally, whatever it may be, mm-hmm. are you then forcing them into a situation that they didn't want to be in anyways? Like if they're going to school, but they know that that isn't the thing that they want, why, who are we to tell them that they have to do that? Yeah, but there's options though. Like, I remember the kid, Brandon Jennings, yeah, he went overseas. He went overseas, Emmanuel Moody. You don't have to go to college. If, yeah. you, if you really, if you gotta make bread or you gotta take care of your family, whatever the situation is for you, and you really wanna be a pro, you don't wanna go do the educational route, there's other avenues for you. But what Ray's saying is, there's very few kids that can actually leave high school or leave after their first year and make a real impact at the NBA level. Because most times, you get, you get on a team, um, there's guys in front of you that went to college. There's right. guys that have been in the NBA for three or four years that are they're going to play in front of you anyway mm-hmm. because their talent level is above yours because they're more mature as, as, as players. And recruiting, I think, in some <clears> ways <throat> is the issue too because some schools, that's what they feed off. You're going to Kentucky because you want to be there one year. Yeah, but what you, what you realize you know, going forward is we, we have plenty of examples in America of people who are successful mm-hmm. that didn't go to college. Yeah. True. Like college true. is not you know, the route to success for everybody. Right. So when you look at a, a collegiate athlete, what it does is it'll put more pressure on colleges to make sure that they make it easy for the kids to come and be successful if they know they're losing them straight out of high school right. into the NBA. Mm-hmm. Correct. Because every other league, if you go around the world, every kid that plays basketball or, or baseball or tennis around the world doesn't have to go to college, you know, any place in Europe, any place in Asia, you don't have to go to secondary education. 
now the colleges should have to compete to keep those kids by saying, we're making it a, a level playing field for, we want you to get an education and we want you to compete and this is the things we have set up for you. Mm -hmm. So a kid can say, you know what, that college looks like a viable option for me and I'll hold off from leaving high school to go to the NBA. But if you go from high school to the NBA, it, it, the NBA should now say, okay, we're not gonna allow you acceptance into the league mm -hmm. right away. We're going to make sure that you, yeah, we're going to make sure that you, yeah, we bring you along and see, we might be able to see early whether you can compete and you might, you know, be good, you know, that first year or it might take you two or three years to develop and get to where we want you to be. Or it might not be in the cards for you, but it gives you something because some kids just need to know if, if I'm in high school and I know I have to go to this farm system, you know what? I'm gonna go to college and then I'm gonna try to get drafted through that process. I don't wanna go to a, to a farm system, but if that's, you know, and there's no age limit. So the NBA saying, hey, we're giving you the opportunity to come here and be successful, but you have to go through these systems and protocols in place. It's almost like a betting to make sure right. that you're ready to go, but you're still gonna to get to play basketball. Right. Yeah. Do you guys do normal brackets? Yeah, I do normal oh, yeah. brackets. Yeah. But I never won one though. I mean, I got yeah, like, I, I got know. close. I got like top four or five, but I never won the whole thing. Yeah. It used to always be the dude that don't even watch college basketball. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When like Dirk, Dirk won fan. three out of the eight years I played with him. I'm like, Dirk, you don't even watch college basketball. <laughs> yeah. He always win though. Thank you for listening to the final installment of Who's Interviewing Who, the podcast. And if you haven't already, check out the other five episodes right here on WRTS. Also check out Film Study, a podcast that I produce that's hosted by Super Bowl champ turned Hollywood producer Spencer Paysinger, along with his producing partner, Dane Mort, where they break down the biggest blockbusters from each week. And make sure to subscribe to WRTS for more of your favorite athlete-led podcasts.